0: Welcome to Security Rules. This episode is brought to you by Tufin, the providers of Tufin orchestration suite, Iris and Orca. Tufin Solutions enables organizations to segment their network across the physical network, SDN, public cloud, and containers. To learn more, visit Tufin.com. Welcome Ethan Smart to Security Rules. Uh, Ethan has joined us uh, from Tufin as a... Senior Solutions Engineering Professional, but has a whole lot of Experience in a number of different Information security rules, uh, including McDonald's, right? Home yep. of the secret sauce, yeah. uh, and Big Mac, uh, protecting those Goodies, uh, Tech, uh, And a number of others As well as a current podcast uh, Aficionado as well So, uh, Ethan, uh, with that Background being said, welcome. Thank you Glad to be here. Uh, so, uh, Ethan I thought that today's episode would be interesting to broach the concept of network segmentation, uh, not necessarily in like the most conventional or traditional of senses, uh, because I think what we're seeing, at least in terms of the conversations I'm having with a lot of the enterprise organizations out there that are either starting to undertake network segmentation or moving further down the path of uh, iterative network segmentation approach, is that the cloud is this kind of Adjacent network, right? Uh, it's either interconnected or it's owned elsewhere. And as they start to execute on their network segmentation process, it becomes really tricky for them to consider uh, it because the other challenge here is like the network itself is fairly controlled, right? We, we know what it is, we can uh, moderate it and define uh, what is available there. But in the cloud, it may not necessarily be quite so easily defined. Um, and based upon you know your experience now working with um, which I think are probably some of the world's largest organizations uh, that are trying to approach network segmentation, um, what are the challenges you see them running up against? What, what's holding them back?
1: Yeah, I think it's a couple different things. So it's interesting when you talk about the uh, hybrid cloud perspective, right? You take these large organizations who a few years ago were 100% on-premise. They spent all their time defining what segmentation is there, what their different network zones are. And then you had this big push for the cloud. It was super popular, right? So you had the, and is still popular, but you had CIOs coming in saying, we're going all to the cloud, let's move everything. And then as organizations started to do that, they realized from a business perspective, that wasn't the ideal scenario. So In that, they realized this hybrid cloud approach makes the most sense. And so the security professionals pretty much had to figure out, okay, what does network segmentation security as a whole look like now across essentially two different network infrastructures? So it was a little bit of extending out existing controls. But then also now you have to deal with new different dynamics that come with the cloud, right? So how do you do proper ne- network segmentation when you're doing a serverless environment? And what does that look like? And what can my different uh, what should talk to each other within my cloud and between uh, my on-premise and the cloud? What should talk to each other? I, I think that makes perfect sense from a security
0: perspective, right? Right. But I think the other challenge is is that those that may be responsible for the cloud may not necessarily be security professionals, right? That's a good Uh, point. So uh, when you start to see organizations uh, progress down this path, right? So we've introduced uh, that that hybrid cloud approach, um, and in doing so, we've certainly empowered the business, but perhaps we let go a little bit of the control over it. Um, And we have kind of this uh, second network in some ways, right? Uh, In the sense that we don't have control over it, but we're still responsible for it. Um, In scenarios such as that, how do you see organizations utilizing like the different cloud native security controls to uh, include segmentation or at least like reflect segmentation uh, in the way that you know the enterprise security team might uh, want it
1: yeah that's a good question so from the cloud perspective you think about a lot more agility automation uh, it's a new methodology to approach infrastructure as a whole so you talked about the cloud native controls the reason that's so Impactful, and the reason that so many organizations are using it is because you can build that into the new infrastructure process of building out the infrastructure, deploying new servers. You can apply things like the different security groups or whatever the specific vendor might call it.
0: Ethan, what you just mentioned, that um, division uh, between security responsibilities mm-hmm. in the current network, right? right. Uh, for organizations that have adopted hybrid clouds, and they probably empowered uh, an applications team to own that infrastructure. How are they uh, approaching security with the intent to segment their network, similar to that which they've been doing, kind of the traditional on-prem, you know, that which they've always had ownership over? How are they, you know, I guess overcoming maybe that that culture there, right? Because uh, I think it's an educational piece, uh, but also
1: technically, how are they approaching that? Yeah. I think it's sort of two questions, right? So first on the role side. Sure. So there's a change of ownership, right? So who owns security in the cloud from uh, operations perspective, deploying the actual security controls? And I think what I've most typically seen in the different organizations as they're making the move early on, it's typically, or even middle of the process, it's typically the cloud team that's owning security. And the security team is either late to the table, they don't know what's going on, or they're starting to deploy sort of monitoring controls and understanding what they're doing. So why does the cloud team typically own the deployment of these security controls in the cloud is the cloud native whatever security groups NSGs it seems like everyone likes security groups but they want sure. to throw something either before we can also or after
0: it. just use acronyms. <laughs>
1: NSG, ASG. Yeah. really authenticate SG, everything. Yeah. <laughs> NACL whatever you want to call yeah. it, right? But those different security controls can be deployed within the infrastructure process Mm -hmm. in the cloud because the whole thing is automation, automation, be more flexible, be more agile. So we're starting to see that type of role uh, being owned by the infrastructure team. And
0: now that they own it, um, those guys may not necessarily be security pros, right? Right. Uh, Or necessarily even that experienced in it. Yet somehow they are now responsible for securing some pretty critical infrastructure. And I think I think it's fair to say that it may not necessarily be their priority, right? If we just go back through the roster of uh, recent breaches, right? You know, uh, it, it's the, the concept of having an unsecured database that's internet facing, right? Like, you know, uh, however long ago is at McDonald's, like,
1: I'm pretty sure that was against your guy's security policy. And no one would have ever allowed that to be configured, right? So... So I think that's an interesting point. I actually don't think it's a bad thing that the cloud team is owning the different uh, processes and deploying the security right because yeah. the best sec ops InfoSec is uh, the one that you don't know is there. It's sort of like if you think about a website as SSL it's it's great because it's it adds a level of security and you don't really notice that it's there. So I don't think it's a bad thing that the, the cloud team owns it. I think what needs to happen though is security needs to have two things. One, the ability to monitor what changes are going on and what controls are deployed. And two, they need to be able to react and make changes when that threshold of security or those guidelines, standards, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. are broken. I think that
0: makes perfect sense. But the other piece here too, I think I've come to realize is that culturally there's a different priority, right? So, in the same sense that security has to uh, educate all the different employees of a company, right? This is what a phishing attack looks like. Which, by the way, I think a, a recent Google survey I read said that uh, maybe two thirds of the people said they knew what security was, but like none of them could fully like articulate what security looks like, right? <laughs> like, I know that HTTPS is important, but I don't really care if my website that I'm visiting uses it <laughs> when, I, when I put in my credentials. Um, but so, anyway, I. It, The education of employees is critical, right? Because they're kind of the the most liable endpoint. But I think what's also interesting to consider is that in the same sense that security teams are emphasizing the investment uh, in individual education, they probably also have to do it to the the ops team, right? I mean, you probably need to start influencing them and maybe not necessarily running them through phishing attacks, but saying, hey, like, this is what limited access looks like. And it's not just about connectivity, right? So how how do you think um, from kind of that uh, collegiate uh, and, you know, socially, I don't know, responsible approach, I think security teams can kind of go about that.
1: Yeah, I think the best, perfect point, Mm -hmm. the best thing they can do is the KISS model keep it simple stupid because when you're working with the ops team i thought you were going to go in a very different direction with that <laughs> yeah either. no 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 no, 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 no. Don't, uh, i'm not saying the infosec team needs to these go kiss acronyms the are very <laughs> ambiguous <laughs> security is all about the tlas right three yeah. letter acronyms so. uh, but the, i think the, the best thing to do is just keep it simple because these ops guys like you said really care about deploying applications and critical infrastructure for the business as soon as possible so the security team i know this is not new to the field right needs to be an enabler to the business so the best thing security team can do is when they're talking with the operations guys educate them on what security needs to look like educate them why it's critical for their role to keep security going and that education process isn't that complicated right it's hey we need to make sure that we're doing XYZ here's why and it's for the business here's how we can do it as streamlined and as efficient as possible uh, and you know don't leave an S3 bucket unencrypted to the internet and you're good to go uh,
0: I think it should be almost like voluntary like if you're responsible for it then maybe like you get named like specifically right <laughs> sure. Like because I think there is something to be said about that right like yep. there's a yeah, the two different approaches, right? Like uh, the, the wall of shame versus the wall of fame. Um, <laughs> it, and you hear about security teams kind of approaching that in different ways with like reward mechanisms. I always thought it'd be fun to combine the two, where uh, if someone fell folly to a phishing attack, everyone in that department gets tuna
1: fish sandwiches.
0: <laughs> so that That's way, reward that we're I all know, depending on. But is it? Maybe there's a lot of tuna fish. You got to microwave
1: the, it in the department first and then.
0: And then it's possible. If I go out to Al's, right, a very popular sandwich place here in Boston, I don't think that many people ordered tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> you know, I, I, but I think it's a way to reward, but also shame at the same right. time.
1: So actually, I, I think that's an interesting point you raise. Right? Is from a security perspective, is we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously because as critical as it is, and as serious as the role is. The education process, you don't learn by, you know, sitting someone down and just taking a hammer to their head and telling them everything they're doing wrong, right? So from a security approach to the operations team, it needs to be something a little bit more creative and getting on their level. And, you know, I joked earlier about, uh, you know, just don't leave your S3 Bucket's unencrypted and it seems like you'll be fine. Obviously, it's a little bit more complex than that. But I think we can be more approachable and dumb down some of the different data points or information that we need to feed them. And so maybe it's not a bad idea. Maybe uh, maybe we need to get creative on, I don't know about a shaming model, but uh, we'll call it a ed- uh, practical education model.
0: Yeah, you know something kind of generically applicable, but <laughs> with like a hint of like ominous threats. You know, I like it.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 it's I, not bad. That's what the best training programs offer, right? Uh, I wonder what the award would be then if a critical infrastructure application is super secure then. Uh, well, you know, they have Or do those, we only punish? They have the, the, the raspberries, right? Well, they, yeah. you know, it's. I guess it's the opposite of the, the
0: Pony Awards. Are <laughs> uh, you familiar with those? Uh, no, I don't think I am. I believe the Pony Awards are, are uh, given out to those that uh, develop kind of the most... Uh, contemporary and advanced exploits, right? Like like those that have developed the most sophisticated uh, exploitations or hacking tools and techniques. Yep. So you, you kind of want to have the inverse of that, the raspberries, but like promote it in some sort of like, you know, positive (laughs) light, like, Um, you know, lesson learned here, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we at Tufin could actually do this. Uh, I I don't think there's any sort of accolades given for those that pick themselves up from a breach Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of an unfortunate perspective uh, to take, right? Because a- after you have the fallout, um, everyone's kind of having a pretty miserable go at it, you know? Uh, and <laughs> you don't really want to yeah, deal no, with it's a, it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I feel like a lot of the time, too, the, these guys are typically underfunded. Uh, they don't necessarily have everything that they need, um, like their personnel issues, which we don't necessarily need to get into. Um, but to have such kind of constrictions on enabling the business but ensuring security... Uh, and then finding weaknesses within it. I think very rarely do we say, hey, kids, like way to pick everything back up
1: and bring things back in operational order. Well done. Yeah. So, talking about the operational efficiency and doing less with more, which I think a lot of people, especially in the InfoSec area, are looking to do. I think a key thing on that, uh, even backing up, right? If you think about the hybrid cloud environment. You think about the cloud environment, the infrastructure team, their whole reason businesses are going to the cloud is they want to be more agile. They want to do more with less. They want to deploy quicker. They want to you know, leverage uh, ca- uh, OpEx more efficiently. So I think security professionals, not necessarily from a cloud perspective, although cloud is part of it, is we need to start thinking about how to do more with less. And I hate to, you know, sound like, uh, you know, I'm looking for a Skynet type of future, right? But I think the the key thing is going to be automation as as we move forward. Uh, and I don't mean automation from just one particular area. I mean every area, right? So how do you respond to threats in an automated manner? How do you essentially that layer one repetitive tasks that infosec professionals we get stuck doing, right? So a thousand alerts come in and then for those a thousand alerts we have to do XYZ manual tasks or uh, you know we need to respond to this we need to understand how this is open if we're not automating a lot of those tasks or most of those tasks are automating what can be automated um, you know we're we're not that's how we're going to do more with less it's an interesting consideration right because
0: I also think uh, automation has this very taboo uh, (laughs) association right like you're like oh you're going to automate me out of a job (laughs) Um, and uh, recently, we had a, a, an episode with uh, Joe Schreiber, one of our colleagues, uh, where we talked about the benefits of automating uh, right. yourself out of a job, uh, which he'd done successfully a number of times, too. <laughs> but uh, we do have that conversation pretty regularly, right? Uh, there are firewall administrators, and they say, well, you know, uh, uh, if you bring in automation here, I'm going to be out of the change management process. In the back of my mind, all I can think of is, man, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, like uh, manually looking up IPs, trying to figure out yeah. like what security policy is, like, can you do it? Yeah. And then everyone's yelling at you because you're not working fast enough. <laughs> yeah. You want, I mean, maybe some people so, do want to manage firewalls exclusively throughout their career, but I suspect that just in the efforts to adopt um, increasing familiarity and expertise in security, you may not necessarily want to be the IP manager.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, when it comes to this whole automation conversation, it always comes to uh, and prepare yourself for an industry buzzword, value, right? So you as an individual or you as the department organization, it's all about the value you can bring to the, the business and how fast you can provide it, right? So if you think about manual looking up IPs all day, uh, I don't think anyone really wants to be doing that or you know copy and pasting hash doing different lookups and everything so if you can provide value by automating those processes and streamlining it you know that's only going to bring more value to you as an individual as well to the organization and at that point i don't think you should be yeah, I have any concern?
0: Well, I mean, it's at some point I feel like automation is like a selfish investment. You know? <laughs> True, um, it, you could you could say for the business, but I also think it's relevant to to the individual as well, right? Um, because it, 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 in the same sense that I'm able to eliminate some of my responsibilities by by automating certain facets of my job, I'm getting time on return, right? Yeah, a uh, return on time. Uh, I was thinking of acronyms and then worked backwards the wrong way. <laughs> uh, not. Uh, but rot is what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, through that, I'm actually, I, I'm able to invest in learning new technologies, and yeah. scripting languages. It's good. It generally makes me more interesting uh, for those pursuing candidates for different opportunities. Right. Uh, and I'm not uh, clearly not saying like right now I'm about <laughs> to bail. Right. But it's just one of those things. Like it, it, if you are able to actually free up time in your day to day, and eliminate the monotony, which trust me, you've already mastered your ability to enter IP addresses, right? Uh,
1: that within that itself- has been learned.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know, that's that's learning on the job, right? Yep. And not only that, uh, you're kind of building your portfolio of work. Um, so when I have these conversations, I, I always kind of say like, what do you really want to be doing? And I don't want to have that awful interview question of like, where do you see yourself in three years? But <laughs> it's like, no, seriously, like what would you rather be doing? Yeah. To that point, Ethan, what do you think people want to be doing rather than just processing change requests? So
1: people from a... So, w- well, let's, let's back up. So you're talking about what do people want to be doing instead of change requests. So from a that perspective, right, you have to think about what that specific people are owning. So if they're involved in a typical firewall change management process and you want to talk about, you know, if that process is 100% automated, all that auto magic is going on and they can just sit back and watch change requests happen. You have to think about what those specific people own. So from a network segmentation perspective, it's typically one thing that they own. Security from the network. So think about... Even your firewalls themselves have exploits or your different networking devices has exploits, so making sure you're up to the latest code, make sure you're using the latest features. So When you've offloaded the change management process and the boring work of doing ACL changes all day, you can start focusing on the really important stuff, which is uh, making sure everything is engineered properly taking a new look at the architecture and maybe something needs to be reworked or changed i have never gone to a customer or an enterprise where i didn't see an operations engineering architecture team that were underwater and that's not just from acl changes right that's a big part of it and when we help when i help my customers do that perspective right we definitely free them up and that's one thing but I can guarantee you, there's 100, 200 other projects that they're trying to get to, or thought they're not going to get to until 20. 20- I always hear that's a 2031 project. Yeah. Right. So freeing them up to do the more important things like that is, is critical for that in a particular team. I would say the other the other let's kind of uh, uh, move away from the change management side and think about more maybe security operations and thinking about alerts and doing that type of automation, or even in the cloud, if the cloud security is automated, you can spend more time. And again, I said this earlier, SecOps is best when it's not noticed, or you don't even know it's there. Yeah. So they can spend more time uh, improving other processes and making sure other things are automated and make sure customers are happy and, and the business is functioning properly.
0: Yeah. So effectively, if you're automating things, you make your day better and everyone else's day better. You can drink more coffee. You can make... You can make, focus on hydration. Yeah, right? but you know, yeah get some no water. No one ever it. does that. Yeah. Not nearly enough. Societal um, issues, right? It's a, <laughs> well, it's interesting too. You said it, it's a 2031 uh, initiative and... Uh, I cannot wait to hear the buzzwords and acronyms that come out to support that. (laughs) Everything's fundamentally shifted. True. (laughs) Uh, And the other
1: buzzwords like fundamental shift. Yeah. uh, Paradigm shift. Paradigm Uh, shift. Yeah, I'm sorry. You you can cycle that in every five, six years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. As as automation increasingly uh, is relied upon to enable individuals and the business, uh, at least from the security perspective, I only see it as uh, increasing one's own ability to invest Mm -hmm. in themselves. Um, That's why I've always seen automation as like a fairly selfish investment. Uh, You know, you get opportunity for yourself, uh, and you get that portfolio of work anyway. And not only that, you have the time to actually properly approach segmentation uh, across the network in the cloud, which, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, is not necessarily the most simplistic of mm-hmm. things to do, uh, especially bridging the social gaps uh, and cultural divides.
1: Yeah. So back to the, the big question, right? Network segmentation. So it's something that, uh, that everyone's talking about and everybody thinks everyone else is doing it and most people are, are doing it but ha- have I ever gone in and seen someone doing network segmentation perfectly? The answer is not yes, right? right? But from a network segmentation perspective you have to think about uh, how are you going to do it from a methodology perspective, right? Especially when you consider your network has now expanded into the cloud so it, does it look like specific business groups to other specific business groups? Is it specific applications between other applications? Do I want to take the network zone approach where uh, it's this part of my network to that part of the network? And the answer is really all the above, right? So there's not necessarily one right way of doing it. Uh, but as long as you're doing it and working towards it, I think that's where we've seen a lot of success. I, I will say, I, I see people get tripped up all the time because
0: they approach network segmentation, uh, as the idea and mm. the most logical conclusion based upon that is I have different offices in different locations.
1: Mm.
0: Therefore each location will be its own network segment, mm. but that doesn't really actually solve the challenges with the divide in the actual business units. Right. Hmm especially if they all require access or they're all mostly populated by the same ones.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So that's one type of model that depends on the business, right? So you if you have the type of model where you have a lot of distributed offices and you have to do that sort of net, network segmentation, it, there's kind of two layers to that, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, these are just part of my user network, so I put that all up into one big thing, and now I just need to understand who needs to talk to to what, do I do it from a, a user perspective, it, or a role perspective? Uh, it really, you have to kind of formalize what you want that model to look like. And then within that, uh, you, the, the network, let's, let's focus on the network side itself, right? So mm-hmm. if you just say, these are my users, whether, whatever branch, the control needs to be that they only talk to X, Y, and Z. So you can, you can focus on that. And that's, I wouldn't say the easy part, because if you don't have visibility and you don't know what is open and what's not, Maybe it is easy. Maybe you you say, this is my policy. Let's start enforcing it. I have visibility, and boom, it's done. But I don't think that many companies actually know what
0: their security policy is. Wow. I I could be wrong. No, no. no, Let let me me clarify here, right? So, uh, sure, if you have... No, I got goosebumps. That was a good point. I wasn't disagreeing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, so... And let me elaborate, though, for those that may have just, uh, you know, knee-jerked away after listening. Say, my God, this man has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> um, I do think a lot of organizations are probably relying on different security frameworks or pulling from regulatory models to define security policy. But when I just use the word define, I don't think it's actually, like, implemented or
1: referenceable, right? Like, uh, what we typically referenceable, see... Referenceable, I yeah. think, is the key word right yeah. there, right? So, I think people know... If I'm so, let's take one industry which I'm passionate about. I've been involved with is uh, is the healthcare, mm-hmm. right? So if I take HIPAA, it's not that complicated. It's make sure my non uh, my administrative isn't talking to my specific healthcare data, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure that that's segmented, whether it's from a data center or a user perspective. Don't do that cross contamination. Uh, so that's very. That's very easy, right? And so we know that needs to exist. But if it, is it referenceable mm-hmm. from the perspective of when I look at my technology, am I making sure that that's going on all of the time? Uh, am I, can I enforce that? And most people can look through their firewall and say, oh, wow look at this rule, uh, the source is administrative and the destination is healthcare data yeah. and that needs to be segmented. But you don't know who put it there. And but you you can't remove it. It could Correct. be important. Yeah, and are, and are you doing constant checking against those policies, right? Because is there some policy that you have stored somewhere that you can do reference against in all of your different technologies all the time? Yeah. And I would say most commonly the answer is no. It's written down on a text pad or a notepad somewhere. Yeah. But the most secure of places for the auditors <laughs> come through, yep. permissible services. Look, our rule right here is uh, <laughs> this is segmented all the time. It's on a notepad.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. It, 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 it is interesting, though, because uh, it, it doesn't necessarily matter how sophisticated or revered an organization is. Uh, I would uh, guess that the gross majority of them don't necessarily have a security policy that is well-defined. Um and it's not a slight against them, right? It's tricky because security itself uh, is a little bit of a moving target, right? You're not necessarily just talking about you know, preparation, but also response, and then mm-hmm. owning all of these different things uh, in between. So, certainly no easy task. But I think that the documentation aspect is one that you know people uh, will quickly skip
1: over because they just know yeah. some services are inherently risky, and so. It- I'm going to use a prime example, right? So mm-hmm. back when I was at uh, one of the other organizations, we were doing an assessment, an audit assessment of a, a specific energy company's uh, network and network segmentation, mm-hmm. right? So they had the very the very clearly uh, defined, not referenceable, but mm-hmm. clearly defined in an notepad. we need to make sure we air, air gap our different SCADA controls from the ne- the rest of the network or the internet. So it's it's defined. It's mm-hmm. there. Uh, so we we went through the assessment and we found a specific uh, you know, SCADA system and there was a computer tied to it uh, for different monitoring. And so we said, So you, do you think this SCADA system is, is quote unquote air gapped, right, from the internet? And they said, Yeah, definitely. There is no way that can get to the internet And then we said, Well this computer is uh, is connected to to monitor it. Can the computer get out to the internet? and then the light bulb went off right like oh right oh you're right so there was nothing actually referenceable to make sure that 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 was segmented and I said oh so so that's fine Um, is there at least a firewall rule that's keeping this computer from getting out to the internet Uh, we don't really know Right, so it's defined, but nothing was referenceable to make sure that that was really being
0: uh, being taken care of. And you're bringing up an interesting point, too. I I feel like organizations approach network segmentation for a couple different reasons, right? I I think primarily to the driver's um, uh, efficiency, um, speed is, is yeah. primarily one of the, the major reasons right but from a security perspective um, I think it's incredibly valuable right so 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 I, I'd worked with a number of different engineers a different pen tests right and uh, the biggest concern organizations had was once we got in like we were in it was pretty easy to trapeze across the network uh, they typically mm. tend to be pretty flat uh, but in, if you're segmenting uh, I don't want to say micro segmenting and I don't really want to talk <laughs> about it because I, I think it has very specific applicability for certain scenarios yeah. but in the, the general corporate network segmentation uh, model uh, to, to your earlier point on the SCADA systems. I mean, if organizations have been effectively segmenting their networks during any number of these pen test engagements uh, gone on, we would have had an incredibly difficult time actually getting to, to sensitive data, right? Mm. Because it would have required multiple hops, right? We, and it's one of those things invariably an end user will likely be compromised right yeah um and it's more so once that happens uh, how do you make it as difficult as possible yeah. for an attacker to actually pivot your network
1: oh so another just uh, defense in depth right yeah so, oh man so many buzzwords and acronyms i, I you know i love I think it you're saying them all, though, not me i think i think it's a little bit <laughs> shared but yeah i would i would definitely say i take the brunt of that <laughs> guilt right there <laughs> um but yeah so it's defense in depth right so yeah. i think Uh, there's security and then there's perceived security right Mm -hmm. so even if you achieve perfect segmentation I don't know what that looks like Uh, I don't know if I'll we'll we'll find out someday I think I'll I'll remain optimistic with, uh, with the future but let's say you achieve Perfect security, yeah. uh, or perfect, not perfect security, perfect segmentation, right? So I think you'll be secure, you'll definitely, there'll be perceived security, but there's always the end user, right? Mm-hmm. So it's making, it's that extra layer. Maybe it stops the initial attack, but most importantly, maybe it's, it most likely will stop the, the subsequent attacks once the end user is. I actually think there's a risk with over segmentation. Uh, on a
0: security level, um, And I could be wrong here, so hear me out. Uh, and if we are in the editorial process, we can. Cut out. <laughs> but I think if organizations are, uh, let's say, let's we'll use microsegmentation as an example, right? So let's say um, you have a, a user group that needs access to an application in the cloud, um, and organizations say, "All right, we are going to introduce new security groups uh, for each different app application we need." Or different security groups for interconnectivity, right? So effectively what you have though is a bunch of overlapping security groups and you have no real way to actually manage or understand what these are because you've just been layering on and on. And if they start overlapping, right? One compromise through one area, all of a sudden uh, you have an opportunity to really spindle out quite a bit more.
1: So I think there's two points to the over segmentation point, which I think mm-hmm. is very valid. So one is if I take my computer and I and I pour it into a thing of concrete and I drop it to the bottom of the ocean, I would say it's over segmented. From the rest of my network, is there a proper, <laughs> is, is there a proper buzzword for the, for that degree of security? I think we need to like define it. Rock hard. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind hardening. It's rock hard. Concrete segmentation. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's one. I think the second thing that you mentioned is you talked about a lot of security groups and overlapping security groups. I think when segmentation uh, creates over complexity in the network. I think that's incredibly hard to truly define that that level of segmentation and that level of controls when it's overly complicated. I think that's where the gaps start coming in. I think you have to keep it simple. I think complexity is the enemy of security. And so if you're trying to over segment or trying to overcomplicate that process, I think that's more of a risk than an actual business enabler. Yeah. I and
0: mean, the, the real life example, so uh, a, a very well known e-commerce retailer. Um, had three thousand different security groups in play, and they oh, had. It's
1: low compared to some 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 of the environments I've seen. It's the it's, kicker here is they had two hundred applications. <laughs> so, so, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. I well, I didn't. I didn't know the ratio yet.
0: So, um, <laughs> it, but it was a really it was a really big problem for them because they uh, had added security groups and added security <laughs> groups and then without fail it had become too complex right? so the only solution was just to add more right? and in the same way that you're creating all this access for all these different security groups which are invariably going to overlap um, I think you're just creating the same complications you did with uh, establishing and retaining policies and firewall rule bases and there we are again in the security uh, life cycle
1: of time where somehow we've created the same problems yeah the security group uh, the security group paradigm can can we coin that one the sure. security group paradigm is is tough right because so we're talking cloud native control security groups by the way for for those who are listening and are, it's not reference to like something in ldap or something like that permissions sure. the cloud native controls security groups right uh so from the ratio perspective, right, we were talking about that, but I've gone into large enterprises where they have maxed out the security groups on their different AWS VPCs across all their different applications. And it's like you keep creating them because the last one wasn't good enough. So let's create a new one and a new one and a new one and a new one and a new one, one one, right? So at what point do we start cleaning that up or getting rid of the old ones? And do we standardize? I think is an interesting question that I think
0: it's that when we migrate to right uh, the orbit, which I assume is the next generation of cloud. <laughs> it's the next higher up space. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you had physical, then it was in the cloud, but beyond that, yeah, yeah, you know, some sort of celestial offering.
1: So at, at that point, we can uh, can we get ahead of that and like name some new segmentation? So we got segmentation, micro-segmentation, nano segmentation. So what do we call like quantum segmentation? I haven't heard anyone say that, so I think it's... Really yeah, we got a coin, a new... Of is it,
0: perhaps like... Uh, you
1: heard it here yeah, uh, first on the, on the podcast. The, the innovator quantum behind... Quantum segmentation. Yeah,
0: quantum network. Is it network segment? No. You, quantum you, segmentation. You probably want to take networking out of it. Yeah. Quantum. It's a good, strong word. Uh, look, everyone, thank you very much uh, for listening to today's episode. Ethan, thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts and ideas here. I know we yeah. veered all over the place, but yeah, I think we, 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 a uh, network holes. segmentation is... Uh, it's a problem for organizations, yeah. it, and it's a good solution uh, for, I think, a lot of the security challenges uh, that people are facing. So, thank you so much for offering yeah, your insight.
1: Man, thank you for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Cheers. Cheers.
0: This episode is brought to you by Tufin, the providers of Tufin Orchestration Suite, Iris, and Orca. Tufin Solutions enables organizations to segment their network across the physical network, SDN, public cloud, and containers. To learn more, visit Tufin.com.